Hey y'all and uh, welcome once again to the Irish in Sweden podcast. My name is Philip O'Connor and I'm most likely still in Beijing, China as uh, you're listening to this for the, for the first time. We've had a bit of a focus on the Olympics over the last couple of weeks. We've heard from past Olympians. We heard from uh, Aoife Hoey Prince a couple of weeks ago. And we've heard from current uh, Olympians, Thomas Maloney Vestgaard, and from uh, Elsa, Elsa Desmond as well, has taken part in the luge. But uh, we're going to park the sport for the time being. It's time to get back to the, the, the meat and drink of things on the podcast and what Irish people are up to in Sweden rather than what they're doing in Vancouver or what they're doing in Beijing, despite wearing the green of Ireland. So uh, my plan has been all along. We don't know how the internet's going to work in Beijing. So I'm uploading these podcasts before I go so that they can drop every Monday morning at 7 o'clock. I know there's a lot of loyal people out there waiting for these podcasts. I know there's a lot of nice supporters out there. If you want to become a supporter of the podcast, you can switch a donation to 123-24-24-166. You can sign up to be a monthly contributor at patreon.com forward slash arrowman in Stockholm. And if you're to ask me which I'd prefer, go for that one, right? Because that way I can see uh, who's contributing. It might be two years euros might be five euros might be 10 euros but at least i know that's coming in then every month until you decide you don't like me anymore and it really makes it much easier for me to plan and to invest the money that comes in in the stories i want to bring you because i don't like sitting here ringing up people i'd much rather go meet them but i can't do that unless i know that uh, the time is going to be covered and that kind of thing so and if you'd like to advertise or sponsor the show irish and sweden podcast at gmail.com is where you're going to find me and uh, this week's a little bit of a business touch this week so to begin with, I'm going to bring you a chat that I had with Hannah Fraser, who is the boss for Enterprise Ireland here in Sweden. Hannah arrived, uh, but God almighty, I think she told, tells me in the interview exactly how long it was ago since she arrived. But in one way, it seems like she's been around forever. And in another way, it seems like she's only just shown up, right? But she's been a real breath of fresh air there in Ireland House in the centre of Stockholm. She's come into Enterprise Ireland. The staff has grown exponentially. She has a huge amount of great projects on the go there. And she's been a very active member the community here she has a Swedish partner she's involved in the Stockholm Gales and she's just been this great positive whirlwind of energy who came into the Irish community there and I'm delighted to have her here but I really wanted to sit down with her and talk to her about the situation for Irish companies over here because we have two kinds of companies one is the Irish companies that started in Ireland and that are based in Ireland and where people you might be working for one of those companies over here you might be above in a data centre in Lulia or in some big project in Yavla or somewhere like that so I wanted to talk about the situation for those companies the future for those companies companies, how to get over here, how they're finding doing business, but also for Irish-owned businesses. Now, I know there's not really as much that Enterprise Ireland can do uh, but I do know, for instance, that uh, Carl Lambert, who you heard from last week, talked about cross-country skiing. He's been in touch with Hannah because Hannah's in touch with a whole lot of other people. So, you know, there are sort of relationships worth having there. Sometimes we look at the state agencies like Tourism Ireland and that kind of thing. We say, oh, what can they do for us who live here and have been living here for a long time? And they mightn't be able to support us in the same way as they would as sort of an indigenous Irish business. But there's still supports there. There's still things available that they can help with. And sometimes that might be a phone number. But you know what? That phone number, that introduction might be enough uh, to find, you know, more business for your business. So this is the chat I had with Hannah Fraser. I paid a visit to Ireland House where the embassy, uh, where the embassy is and where the Irish state agencies are all gathered under the one roof to talk to her about her work and what Enterprise Ireland is currently doing in Sweden and in the Nordic region. First time since the very first episode. We're back in Ireland House now on the edge of the water here in Stockholm. 
And today I'm talking to Hannah Fraser from Enterprise Ireland. And uh, she was just out here with our minions, all the lads who play football here in Stockholm, telling them what to do before she sat down to do this interview with me. Uh, Hannah, just first of all, how are you in this lovely Swedish January? I'm good. Thanks, Phil. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, gorgeous day today, yeah. Uh, yeah. I woke up this morning, there was snow everywhere. I, was like, I know. Well, no, not again. <laughs> you know, but... I know. And it's only when you say the day before, God, we're having a really mild winter, and then you wake up the next day. And so, it's, I, and yeah. I, I was smart this morning. I just said, Asher, I'll take me car. And I said, oh, what did I do that for? You know, yeah. but you'll have that. Anyway, at least it's not like back at home where everything will be closed down, the roads will be closed and the whole lot. Exactly. And can we start by just looking at what Enterprise Ireland does? Right, because for, for the lay person in the street, you look at Enterprise Ireland and they go, Okay, that's Ireland's sort of um, business marketing abroad. Is that pretty much what it is, or what is it? Yeah, we, we might define it a little bit differently, but I suppose, um, like at a basis, our remit is to support Irish companies in international markets. So, mm -hmm. our you know, our ambition is to you know help Irish companies to achieve world class positions um, mm -hmm. globally. So um, we're working day in, day out with Irish companies um, in this region, in the Nordics, and, and we're helping them to try, you know, build, enter, scale their businesses in this region. And how does that work in practice, right? Because we're sitting here in Ireland House, uh, Tourism Ireland are a little bit of a part of this, Board B are a little bit of a part of this. But if I have a company in Ireland and I say, OK, I know there's a lot of financial uh, technology firms, that kind of thing, you have engineering, you have all these. So if I have an idea and say, Jesus, that might work in the Nordic region, what, what do I do? And what will you do for me, so to speak? Yeah, so the process, like exactly like that, it really does start in Ireland. So if, if you're an Irish company, um, you know, you may have an idea, you may be an Irish person with an idea, or you may have an existing business that's domestic and you're looking to, to bring it international. Really, the first step is to, to reach out and, and all the contact details are on the website. Um, to Enterprise Ireland and, and have that kind of initial conversation. Look, our, our supports are really wide ranging. It's everything from what you touched on. It's, it's financial support, it's capability development support. Um, we run a lot of programs in Ireland to help companies to get that export mindset, to build their export sales plans. Um, and then really, I suppose, so that kind of first process is becoming an Enterprise Ireland client mm. and, and all that work is done in Ireland. And then, you know, us in the overseas offices, we're here in Stockholm, we have 40 offices around the globe. And um, then we start to work with those companies based on, you know, where their ambition is. So if, if they have an ambition to come to the Nordics, we'll get a referral from our team back in Ireland to say this company is looking at the Nordics. Um, and then one of the team here, based on kind of the sector experts in the team here, will work with those companies to help kind of realise their ambitions about this region. So if I have a piece of fintech software, I'm after being a DCU for the last few years, I've developed this thing. I don't have to know the names of the Swedish banks. I don't have to know uh, how regulation works or that kind of thing. I can come to you and your expert will help me with that. Exactly. Look, and, you know, we, we're covering, you know, I, I kind of say in, in our roles in Enterprise Ireland, we are wearing so many hats every day. So I used to say when I, because I've come from being that kind of sector um, lead when I was based down in Australia and New Zealand, you know, I've covered everything from fake tan to forklifts and, you know, everything <laughs> in between. So um, it gives you kind of the idea of the breadth of companies that we're working with generally either we'll know the answer, we, we'll help you find out that, we'll, we leverage a lot of the people that we know in this region, so we'll point you in the right direction, but that's our, our aim. So regardless of where you're at at your stage of journey, 
you come, you have a conversation with us and we'll try help you along that journey to accelerate it and, and to achieve what you're looking to achieve in this region. I can imagine a lot of people listening to this either in Ireland or Sweden and, you know, they heard the words financial support about three minutes yeah. ago and they're going, would he ever ask a question about money, you know? Yeah. So when you talk about financial support, there's two things, right? One is, I'm assuming there's a process of due diligence. So you yeah. can't just rock up and say, here, I have this great idea. Give us a million euro and we'll see if it's worth doing, right? And the other thing is, can I rock up at all and say, give me a million euro and we'll see if this is worth doing? Yeah, luckily, um, in the overseas teams, we don't really control that process thank of, God, of grant funding. Thank God. <laughs> so that's my easy answer out of that one. Um, no, but look, we, again, we have a, a really kind of far-reaching um, range of even financial supports. So... Um, like we have a support that's competitive start fund that's really around feasibility. So we're given like that concept stage of an idea, like you're not getting it straight away. You're coming with your business plan. You're coming with your proposition. The teams in Ireland are doing that um, due diligence. Um, we, we put a equity investments in, in companies as well, which I think is quite unique. And we've, we've done that for many, many years. Um, and again, with those companies, they're going through quite a, a due diligence process before we're putting that money in. Um, but we also have grant funding around things like, you know, looking at your, your climate emissions, which is obviously a hugely um, uh, topical, you know, um, aspect at the moment. Um, we funding around if you're looking to build into new export markets, you can have conversations around that. So we have a full suite of, of financial supports. Um, there's obviously state age restrictions on it as well. Um, but the team in Ireland really tried to, to work with companies to understand their needs, to identify where the needs are, both financial and other. And just kind of one last point I'll say on that is, you know, everyone does think, oh, it's a bank, we'll look, we'll go get the money. But actually, you know, we've just released um, the results of our survey and the, the value that the companies get from the soft supports from the overseas is actually on a par with the financial supports that we give, which I think is really, and that's, that's coming from our clients themselves. Mm. Um, so, yeah, okay, we do, the financial is a huge part of it, but there is a lot more that we do in Enterprise mm. Ireland that I think really, it arguably can have a bigger impact on, on those companies as they look to go global. There's one of the interesting things about being in business. Anybody you talk to in business will always say, oh, if I knew then what I know now. Yeah. And if you can sort of shorten that route, because I see it a lot of the time is when people have assumptions about Sweden or the Nordic region about how it is to do business in different countries. You know, you go, no, 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 no. And you tell them and you realise they're not listening. You yeah, know? And then exactly. a year later they go, oh, yeah, that was actually right. You know, the person at Enterprise Ireland told me that. And there's a huge value to that. Yeah. Because yeah. otherwise you're chasing your own tail for so long, you know. Completely. And like you said, it's, hindsight's a great thing. You can look back. And, yeah. and then I, I think what we find really resonates is companies telling each other those, um, those stories. Yeah. So, um, rather coming from us, um, you know, a lot of the companies that are well established here that have kind of walked that, you know, track, um, when we pair them up with companies that are looking at this region in the same sectors or even in complementary, you know, um, sectors, when they hear those stories or we showcase them on our um, on our social media channels and they read them, that's when it really starts to ring home and to resonate to say, OK, actually, look, my ambition is to get to where they are. Yeah. Um, I'm going to wake up and listen to to some of that advice that they're, they're they're being told. And do you find that companies are generous? Because, you know, I would have thought that, OK, if I've done that, you know, I'm going to keep a certain amount of these details to myself, especially if it's somebody in a competing sector who looks like a sort of a threat to me in that marketplace, you know? Yeah. But do you find that people are open enough and that, you know, they're happy enough to speak about those experiences? I do. I think, you know, in the main, like all of the Irish companies here, 
you know, they see their success as shared success. Yeah. And it's a reputation as well that, you know, it's important that the next companies that come out also bring a good reputation out to this region, that they become known for, you know, being straight, doing business well. Um, so I I would say, yeah, nine times out of 10 companies are absolutely willing. Like you do get the fierce competitors, of course, um, which goes in every industry. But I would I say, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but I would say, yeah, in the main, people are very, very open and very supportive. Yeah. If you look at the Irish business community here, because I know we have the Swedish Irish Chamber of Commerce, which is on the go as well. Um, there has been a tendency from some of the people who are maybe in the community 20 years, 25 years, who have built up businesses. And their thing is, you know, what can Enterprise Ireland do for me? So say say I'm a consultant at, you know, say Ericsson or Tele2 or something like that. I have an idea to start a business. Am, am I right in saying that it's not just because you're an Irish person that you can turn to Enterprise Ireland, right? Yeah, you are. And it's, it's, it's we do get a lot of inquiries around that all yeah. the time. Um, it, it is, it's, it's Irish-based businesses. So it's companies that are registered and headquartered in Ireland that are looking globally. Now, we there's lots of agencies you mentioned for VIA. Um, you mentioned Tourism Ireland, IDA Ireland as well are there mm-hmm. and they are helping companies obviously, you know, set up and establish kind of the inward investment piece as well. So mm-hmm. set up and establish in Ireland. So um, I, it's always worth the conversation because you never know. Um, mm-hmm. We've had founders relocate back to Ireland, set up businesses there from overseas and, and come in under the Enterprise Ireland support in that way. Um, so look, I think we're always open to a conversation, but in the main, our supports and, and the companies that become our clients are, are Irish-based um, businesses and not just Irish people based in, uh, yeah, world markets. How long have you been here in Stockholm now? I'm here two and a half years. Yeah, Jesus, the time flies, I know, it? it does, it does, it's crazy. In, in that time, what's the biggest thing that sticks out to you in terms of the differences of doing business in, in the Nordic region or in Sweden compared to, say, Australia or back in Ireland? Yeah, I'm um, I'm ten years. Oh, I'm coming up to ten years gone from Ireland, which is just yeah, it's it's hard to believe. Um, but look, like, and to be honest, before I moved up here, um, I didn't know. Like, I knew top level, you know, aspects about the region, but I I wouldn't say I knew, you know, in depth what it was going to be like. Um, you know, you hear things about the culture, you hear things about the business um, environment. Um, but I think it's until you come here and you, you really live it that you, you start to recognise the the kind of key things that stand out. Um, I think like one of the things for me is I think the lack of awareness of the Nordics in Ireland. And I think like that's maybe a, a big statement to make. But I think in general, you know, Irish companies mindsets and Irish you know people's mindsets, when they look global, they're not going Sweden, you know, or they're not going Norway straight away, unless there's like a real pull up here for a specific region, reason. Um, so I think, you know, the thing that we're working really hard on is actually highlighting this region back in Ireland, because I think like it's culturally close to Ireland. It's, it's geographically close. When you land up here, it doesn't feel very different in that people speak English. You can navigate the markets really well. Um, there are absolutely differences. I think, you know, um, it's, it's quite consensus driven. So oh God, decisions um, decisions take time and, you know, maybe Irish, you know, people aren't used to that. So I think you have to be patient. Um, I think, you know, a, a big thing that the region stands out for is work-life balance, gender mm. equality. And, and you really, you hear it, but I think when you come up here, you really see it. You see all the dads dropping their kids off to school mm. in the morning. And I think 
the fact that it's equal parental leave um, translates into much greater gender equality, mm. you know, in the business environment up here. So, look, there are absolutely aspects that stand out. But I think generally the thing I'm most surprised about is how similar it is. And I think that's what I hear from Irish companies is actually how easy it is to do business up here. Yeah. So um, if that's the message I can send home, that mm. that's what it would be, you know. Well, I think that's a, that's a great summation of the whole thing because even if it does take maybe six months or a year longer than what you might have expected in the beginning, it's actually really, really easy. Yeah. Because, you know, you don't have a communication barrier. It's no. not like... I remember hearing uh, George Murphy, this Irish singer who was on Eurostar many years ago, and he went to Japan and he was opening an Irish bar, you know, he was performing there. And the owner gave him his, his business card and George took the business card and he put it in his back pocket. And it's a bit the most insulting thing you can do in Japan, apparently, yeah. you know, because yeah. you don't, he didn't look at it and say, oh, thanks very much and put it in his breast pocket beside his heart as if he's going to cherish it forever. <laughs> Just put it in his back and they went, fuck that guy. Yeah, you know? yeah, I never yeah, want yeah. to see, uh, speak to him yeah. again, you know. So you don't have any of that up here, really. No, and though, the, the, those nuances about culture are just so important to understand. And I think, like, they're very direct up here. Yeah. And I think... Um, I took that, like, even just in communication styles, they'll say no. And, like, in Ireland, we won't really say a flat-out no. Nobody says and, no in Ireland. And, you know, or they'll say yes, and it's a straight yes. Yeah. And you're kind of going, do you want to do it? Or are you sure? Like, are, they, <laughs> are you annoyed? Um, so I just think, you know, those, like, cultural, you know, communication differences, um, you, you pick them up over time. But, um, yeah, like you said, in the main, it is, it, it's pretty straightforward and pretty easy. Without hanging anybody out to, to dry here, I came to the embassy a little while ago to talk to the ambassador and somebody yeah. said to me, oh, would you like a cup of coffee? I went, ah, oh, no, you're grand. And I went, fair enough, so. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and I, and I, I do want one, yeah, ask <laughs> yeah. me again. Well, you know, convince me, you know, <laughs> yeah. we can work a little bit on that. At least we got you a coffee this well, morning. Well, that, that, that was the first thing, oh, no, Connor was there doing <laughs> yeah. that, you know. I'm going to briefly interrupt Miss Hannah Fraser there and our conversation about Enterprise Ireland and their work here just to let you know that this podcast is proudly sponsored by Veerstrom's Pub here in Gamlaston in the old town in Stockholm the finest Irish bar I've been saying it in Stockholm definitely in Sweden probably in the whole Nordic region who knows might be the finest bar in the whole world it's owned by Martin Hessian from County Galway wonderful place to go great food there there's TV screens all over the place there's any amount of little nooks and crannies and a lot of bars you go to in Stockholm or in Sweden they tend to be these big sprawling super pub like things where you can't sit down you can't hear what's being said with a person two two meters across from you uh, but Veerstam's is not like that there's loads of little parlor rooms and snugs and that kind of thing so just a wonderful place to go to sit down uh, to chill out to have a few pints they always have huge selection of guest beers there which is fascinating. Back in the day, you kind of had a, a very limited selection of beers and a point of Guinness that cost you a fortune. But now you can get the best point of Guinness in town. But there's also a number of guest beers from small breweries, a little bit like the lads we're going to be talking to a little bit later on about the Mel O'Donnell Brewer, Brewing Company. So we're delighted to be sponsored by Martin and the crew there at Veerstrom's Pub. And uh, we hope it's a relationship that continues. Their sponsorship of the Irish and Sweden podcast is hugely appreciated. Now, let us get back to Hannah Fraser, who we so rudely interrupted uh, to tell you how much we love Veerstrom's. When you look at the, the broader sort of possibilities for business, because from what I'm hearing from you now, you're really positive. You're sort of saying, look at lads, come. There's yeah. opportunities here for people. And when you look at your own personal situation, what have you enjoyed most about being here, about working here? You know, because it's a big difference from Australia and New Zealand, right? Yeah, it is. And it's very funny because when I got the job and I was saying to like all the community and colleagues down there, um, I'm, I'm moving, I'm, after seven years, I'm heading up to Stockholm. The first question I got is, Why? Like, why are you leaving <laughs> yeah, the sun mad. and the beaches and you're <laughs> yeah. going up there? Um, but, you know, for me, it, look, I've I've been here. I came before, obviously, COVID. Um, but a lot of the time I've been here has been through the, the pandemic. 
Um, and, you know, that it's been absolutely challenging and, and a really tough time for a lot of people and a lot of businesses. Um, but what it's meant for me is I've been based here and I've really spent time, you know, we weren't able to travel. Um, I've got a Swedish partner. Um, so I've spent a lot of time around Swedish people, around Swedish family. Um, and I think I've been able to get a real sense of what life is like up here in a different way. Um, you know, I think the values of society up here, family, you know, work-life balance and um, the importance that placed on time with friends and family and all of that, I think, you know, you start to really feel like society here is structured and they're placing importance on the right things. Um, and you do, you, people don't seem as stressed as in other parts of the world. Um, they seem to be enjoying life, um, you know, so I th- I've, I've absolutely loved it. Um, and it's not as different to Australia in some ways as you think, because that outdoors lifestyle, yes, you're swapping swimming in the ocean for skiing, but you're still out there. You're still, you know, in touch with nature. So, look, I, I absolutely I, I love um, life up here. The, the GAA community, which you're, you're very involved with, it, it's a huge, they open you with welcome arms. You know, I, all the guys that have come out that, you know, have joined the team as well, have settled incredibly well. So I, I think Stockholm's underrated as a city as well to look to uh, and settle in as well. It's, it's amazing. Even if you just look out the windows here, I always talk about it, it's just beautiful to have beautiful. that view wherever you are. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely beautiful. Um, we're seeing a sort of an increase in the, the size of the Irish community here. And a lot of that is being bulked up uh, by lads working up in Lulio and girls working in Yavla on contracts for building of various data centres and that kind of thing. Uh, are those companies sort of too big for Enterprise Ireland? Are you involved in bringing those people over as well? Yeah, no. Um, the data centre, I suppose, the construction of data centres has been a huge like success for Ireland. And we're very, very close and working closely with all of those companies. Um, and, and they've been a great kind of way to promote the region as well, because I suppose we've seen, you know, great growth into the region over the past number of years. Um, we released 2020 results last year and exports into the region exceeded a billion for the first time ever. And, and a lot of that growth has been driven by the industrial success. Um, you know, we've got about 50 Irish companies now active across the region mm. um, working on high tech construction projects, many of which you mentioned are up in the likes of Lulia or Yevla. Um, and we're working really closely with those companies um, as well on their agendas um, in this region. Um, but it is it, it's a huge success story for Ireland um, and they've built a really, really strong reputation in this region. They, yeah? yeah, for um, for Irish companies um, and just for how they're doing business. Um, you know, we we the, last year towards the back end of last year um, announced the opening of Kirby and Colin, two of the Irish companies up in Yavla. They established offices up there. Um, and, you know, their stories are of, yes, their success. And, and it's been, it, it's credit to both those companies for the success they've had in this region. But when you hear how they speak about the importance of engaging the local supply chain, giving back to the local community, investing in charities, you know, or mm-hmm. giving back to charities here locally, you see the importance of this, you know, market for those companies. And, you know, a lot of these businesses would have been domestically focused businesses, mm-hmm. um, back when the recession hit and they would have for the first time looked at the export market and we would have worked with those companies back then to help them to get on that export journey um, and, and look where they are today and 
these markets and the fact that the construction site stayed open through the pandemic, you know, they would call their business in this region. Some of them would call it a lifeline through the past number of years when oh, yeah. construction sites elsewhere closed down. Um, so, yeah, they're a phenomenal success and we're, we're very much um, working with them and, and trying to support them and, and to bring new companies out within that sector. Mm. So, but Kirby and Colin in particular opening offices here would suggest that this is no short term thing. This is not sort of one to three years and we're out of here. Somebody mentioned to me, one of the lads who's working on one of the sites, said that there's enough work there for 10 years. And, you know, who knows what the, at the end of the pipeline. Is that what the prognosis is for this? Or? Yeah, it, like it doesn't seem to be going away. And I think one of the big messages that we've been, you know, trying to say is to invest, to set up offices. And we're now starting to see that. But we're also starting to see, you know, companies diversify into other industrial opportunities. Um, we were up on Mark Bigden um, as well, up north, the biggest onshore wind farm in Europe. Um, and we've got Rowbridge, one of one of the Irish companies working on that that project as well. So I, I think that's a really important message. And, and we're saying that is we saw phenomenal growth, over 30%, like I said, to reach, you know, over a billion in exports into the region. Um, and it's not just industrial. We're seeing growth right across sectors. So you know, there's Irish innovation and Irish technology that, you know, you probably are having touch points with in your everyday life here mm. um, in Sweden. If you pay a, a foreign exchange transaction, the chances are there's an Irish company powering that. If you rent a car at the airport, the portal is powered by an Irish company. If you, you know, um, Fenergo, a recent kind of unicorn out of Ireland, is is working with a lot of the, the banks in this region to provide kind of a, uh, first world-class kind of digital experience for their customers. So there's touch points to Irish innovation and technology. The data centre success is huge, but but we're seeing it, you know, right across industries, right across sectors, which is is great because I think it, it looks like more sustainable in the long term. I remember many years ago when I was first here, 96, 97-ish, Ireland had this reputation as being, you know, uh, cheap mince meat and foot and mouth <laughs> disease. Uh, do you find, you know, when you sit down with a client for the first time, somebody hasn't done business with, a, with an Irish company and you're trying to open up an opportunity for them, do you, what, what do they think of Ireland? How do they see Ireland? How do they see Irish businesses? Has the reputation improved to the point where they see it as being the fintech and, and these building companies? Or is it still a little bit, hang on a second, I don't know if I trust <laughs> these lads. Yeah, look, there, there's huge warmth and affinity with Ireland um, in this region. And, you know, look, there's a lot of pe Irish people here that have done very well that are in, you know, Nordic, Swedish companies that are, you know, obviously looking and happy to, to give back. But I would say that reputation has certainly changed. I think, you know, Ireland, it's becoming well known as a, you know, a hub for, you know, high technology companies, um, you know, pharmaceuticals, um, you know, construction. So we're seeing that reputation and it's through the success of the companies that are, you know, that are well established and, and already here. Um, it's amazing. We One of the initiatives that we set up last year was we established a Nordic advisory panel. So we've brought 20 executives from across this region onto an advisory panel that meets quarterly to advise our companies that are asking some of those questions, you know, where should I navigate to? Is my business plan ready for this region? You know, how should I target my product? Um, those people are so willing. They're, they're extremely senior, you know, professional people have years of experience and they're so willing to give back. So I think the thing I've learned over the years is you need to really value people's time. So if you're coming with an ask to someone in a company here, come with a clear ask and come with an understanding of, what it is and, and what's the expectation from their side that you're looking to get out of them. But I think in the main, people are, are very willing to at least have a conversation and see if 
your, you know, your agendas match. And you kind of shouldn't be afraid to ask for something either because they understand that that's what you're there for. So you may as well just tell them anyway exactly. when you're sitting in front of them. You know? Exactly. One final question, Hannah, because one of the things that keeps me awake at night is you or anybody else working in here in Ireland House being a victim of your own success. <laughs> How does it work for you in Enterprise Ireland? Do you know that, okay, in a year, two years, three years, this contract is over and I'm going somewhere else? Or do you have the option to become part of the continued Irish success story in the Nordic region on yeah, a permanent basis? on a permanent basis. Um, yeah, look, all our, and we've a, a team of 11 across the region, which again, That's we've amazing, well man. expanded in, in recent years. We opened our, our Copenhagen office in 2019. So we've a base in, in both countries now. Um, the team are all um, local hires. We've two graduates out on a, on a graduate programme um, for two years and they, they rotate every two years. I myself, I'm on a contract, so um, it's not kind of set in stone in terms of when I, I would move on. But yeah, I suppose, you know, your your time is is limited to some extent, you know, in the region. So, um, you know, our ambition at Enterprise Ireland is to be the best, you know, the best globally in terms of international trade boards. Um, you know, and my ambition here is to, you know, put the team in place. Um, I'm only as good as the team around me and... Uh, to just, you know, really raise the profile of this region, to continue to highlight the success um, and to leave a legacy that you're you're kind of proud of. And um, I must say we have a phenomenal team around us, both on the football field and and off. Um, so, yeah, look, I don't I don't know when, you know, my time essentially will, will come up in this region, but I'll continue doing all I can to, to fly the Irish flag out here. Um, until that time comes. And if there's anybody we need to talk to on your behalf, you do let us know. We'll put in a word for you. Hannah, <laughs> Thank thanks you. very much for talking to me. It's been great. Thanks, Phil. Everything evolves. Our environment, the economy, the markets. Everything changes. And that change is accelerating. To survive, we need to adapt. But to thrive, we need to lead. And Enterprise Ireland has a plan to help Irish businesses lead through these times of change and opportunity by creating the best environment for world-class innovation across Ireland. By guiding our exceptional entrepreneurs and enterprises to further global growth. By adapting to climate change and turning challenges into opportunities for our clients. By creating the right conditions for our talent to spark innovation and by embracing the possibilities of a digital future. And by delivering world-leading service to our clients. Agile, responsive and collaborative. The future is unwritten. The world will continue to evolve. But together, we'll be ready to steer and shape it. Ready to lead. Enterprise Ireland. Leading in a changing world. There you go, a little snippet from a new promotional video on the Enterprise Ireland website that they published there just after Christmas and it's been knocking around for a little while. Uh, and a great description by Hannah Fraser about what they do uh, at Enterprise Ireland. And there is actually, uh, I'm not sure if we mentioned it during the interview there, but there is a Nordic strategy that has been created. Actually, no, it was the ambassador that mentioned that previously when I talked to him in the very first episode of the podcast. Ambassador Austin Gormley mentioned the Nordic strategy that has been developed in the Department of Foreign Affairs and covers all these things like business and culture and this kind of thing. And it's hopefully now when I get back from the Olympics, it's something that I'd really like to get my teeth into because I see real possibilities there across the Nordic region for getting involved in these things so uh, the best of luck to Hannah and her gang let us turn our attention to another Irish owned business here in 
And now it's the middle of February and uh, dry January is but a memory, ladies and gentlemen. We are teeing up, we are gearing up towards St. Patrick's Day and the summer and being outdoors and enjoying a lovely cold beer here and there. So I decided I was going to catch up with Kieran and Tom, Tom Casey and Kieran Blake. Uh, two Irish lads who started a brewery together with another fella. The other fella seems to have mysteriously disappeared, right? But uh, I don't know the story behind that. And I was uh, watching me manners. So I didn't actually ask them during the interview, just let them get along with it, right? But uh, the lads started a brewery about six or seven, you know, it's almost seven years ago now. Uh, they started a Mailer Dolan Brewing Company um, in Strengnes, which is a little bit sort of south, what would it be, southwest of Stockholm-ish, right? So they started brewing out there. And um, it's a weird one because when you're starting to, to do something, anything to do with alcohol in Sweden is a weird one, right? It's really difficult to, to get going. And you'll hear them talk about regulation and marketing and all these other things, you know. You can't... Um, you can't do ads for alcohol in Sweden. I don't know if you've noticed this, right? But you wouldn't get an ad for Guinness. You wouldn't get a TV ad for Guinness unless it's one of the TV stations that broadcasts from outside of Sweden, right? So Viasat do that. They have their, their broadcast in London, so they get around it sometimes that way. But for the most part, it has to be alcohol-free or it has to be uh, what they call lethal, which is under like 2.2%. And then you have folk girl, which is over 2.2% and less than 3.5%, right? But stark girl, strong beers and spirits and that kind of thing, you're not going to see ads for them in magazines or newspapers or anything like that here, which is absolutely bonkers when you consider the amount of betting advertising that you're going to see. In any case, the lads started a brewery a few years ago and uh, they've been tipping away through the pandemic. They've developed it. They have a brew pub in Strengness where you can go, you can become a member of the brew pub, you can become a member of the, the club that they have there, right? So it's not open to the general public, in inverted commas. You have to become a member and you can sit there and you can partake of their fine brews. At the moment, it's about eight or nine of them, I think, that they have on the shelves there. Uh, and they supply stuff through System Belog. Now, I'll come back to you when the interview is over and I'll tell you how to go about ordering some of their stuff because it's uh, it's well worth doing. Um I got some of it. Now, I don't drink alcohol myself anymore, but I did get some of it a couple of years ago, and uh, I got some of it before Christmas again. So I got the Irish Walnut Porter that you'll hear mentioned. Now, I think that was reasonably strong. It was well over 6% or something like that. But if you're sitting down, if you're having it with food or something like that, it's, like, it's really, really good stuff. So they have some great brews there. But here, indeed, is Tom and Kieran with the story of how they came to organise and to own a brewery here in Sweden. <laughs> Right, probably the only two men I know in Sweden from Ireland who could actually organise a piss up in a brewery if they ever got round to it. Um, Tom Casey and Kieran Blake, you're actually in your brewery in Strengness at the moment, making some lovely beer. But could I just ask you, um, where did this idea come from? Well, it's a long story, right? A long, long story. So I suppose I I was the um, yeah I studied biotech in uh, Dublin in um, DC uh, DCU or as it was NIHE. Years ago, right? That's a few years and, ago. Uh, right, Tom. Yeah, the old uh, National Institute for Higher Education, and, and the joke was, it means now I have to emigrate, right? Which I did, right? <laughs> off to off to Boston in '92, and um, that was my first experience. Then um, I worked in Cambridge, Cambridge Brewing oh. Company, and stuff. So it was always it was always a dream that you know one day maybe start a small little uh, little uh, brew pub or something like that, or just or just brew. And um, yeah, it took a long time, family and uh, work and uh, jobs and different things like that. But eventually, after settling here in Sweden, uh, the opportunity came my way to, um, to start something. And um, then I knew Kieran. I knew Kieran was interested as well. So we put a team together, uh, yeah, a small team, basically three of us to, um, and it's now just myself and Kieran, 
was yeah, that was that's that's basically a very short history of it. Yeah, Yeah, and where did it come from for you, Kira? Because you weren't in that business at all. You were in pharmaceuticals, right? Actually, both both our backgrounds is actually pharma. That's how that's how we met first day. Actually, back in two thousand and six, we were working on a project for the Pfizer deal in Sweden, and we moved over here kind of together and worked on that project for many years. And that's I, I got interested in just talking to Tom and the intricacies of brewing, and you know, obviously. You also enjoy the taste of the beer. <laughs> so, but I, I, I mean, Tom is the real brewing enthusiast. I was more kind of tagging along, just a, kind of an interesting party. And, uh, and yeah, it was Tom kind of like lit the fire for me for the, for the inspiration for, for brewing. Tom, um, how difficult is it in Sweden? Because, you know, there's a sort of a, there's a real attitude towards alcohol here that you can't, you absolutely can't do anything whatsoever. So, how, how difficult was it to set up somewhere and start brewing your own beer? I mean, it's, the thing is, like, it's it's actually interesting here. It's very easy to get a license. You know, in Ireland, it's very hard to get. You have to buy a license for like a pub or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. It's easy to get a license to to serve beer as long as you have food, of course, right? You need to serve f- five warm dishes, and they need to be substantial and cooked on site and stuff like that, right? So we weren't into the we weren't into the you know the whole food thing. So we just uh, we just started a club, right? You know, to kind of get around that or to make us legit, right? But it's it's I'd imagine it's similar it's similar to Ireland. I mean. What you what you do has to be safe. It's like you know, like in Ireland, they have um, safe food and whatever, right? So you have to be inspected. <coughs> but the biggest thing we didn't realize was that they are incredibly strict. They are incredibly strict when it comes to even labels, right? Mm. So we wanted to have labels that you know that that spoke to you know the local history, right? So we had, for example, one of the first ones our our um, our IPA our um, no so the rogue. We had this beer. It's it's done. It's it's like a rye pale ale, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Sweden is known for rye, so we thought, okay, rye in Swedish is rogue. So we had the whole story of the rogue bomb that was dropped in Stragnes by the Russians in World War Two, right? Mm-hmm. And we had a lovely label done up, and um, you know, it was like you know the Red Star, the Russians, and the pilot's mask and stuff, whatever. And they came back and they told us, no, 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 you cannot do that. You cannot mention bomb, cannot mention explosion. You cannot have anything military on the on the label, right? So um, we had to go and we had to go and change all that, and um, and then we had we also had one Saint Saint Eskel's blonde, and that was based on Saint Eskel, who was the the Vikings killed him here, and we had the whole story of him being stoned. So obviously, you know, that wouldn't go very far. <laughs> so it was it was incredible. It was incredible how strict they are. And then also, if you say the beer is you know five point four percent, it has to be five point four plus or minus whatever, you know, yeah. but they are very, very um, regimented, very, you know, I know in Ireland, for example, if you're a microbrewery, the first 10,000 litres, I believe, you sell each year is tax-free because they want to encourage. Um, I think it's close to 100,000 Wow, could be, it could be, yeah, tax-free, but no, there is none of that here. There's none yeah. of that. It's very, very hard for small breweries. You know, I mean, it's still kind of present today with sustainability and this monopoly of controlling the distribution of beer. I mean, basically, our business is utterly dependent on, 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 on sustainable logic. Um, bars and restaurants can sustain you to a certain point, but ultimately sustainable logic is where, where we where we will succeed or fail. And you know that, that that's a really tricky thing for a business to be a position for a business to be in that you know you have one one retail outlet which is you know sustaining your entire business. And I guess it was one of the reasons we started the brew pub element of of, of, of of business as well to try to to basically find another revenue stream but you know we're based out in strengths which is you know a really small 
town in the middle of nowhere, kind of where people aren't really so social here. Mm. Um, so yeah, we're, we're very dependent on system log, and I think that, I mean, that that kind of, um, I guess, the, the whole stigma around alcohol and, and stuff in Sweden really does affect how, how breweries can survive here. I would say. Oh yeah, 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 it, for it's sure. It's a big effect on us. Yeah, I mean, I think you really. You need to be bigger. You need to be, um, you know, it's all economy of scale and stuff, right? And you need um, location, 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 right? It's always, it's it's like what they say. And the whole the whole microbrewing revolution started in the U.S. effectively, right? Mm. And, you know, you can read an awful lot about it. But we thought, you know, we're, we're kind of based here in Stragness. Uh, we set up here. We'd have, we'd have lower costs. But in hindsight, you know, if you, yeah, it's the pub is very important as well to try and sell directly. And you just don't get the same footfall. You know, it's like this town is equivalent to where I'm from in Ireland. Um, uh, a town like this still has probably, you know, 28 pubs, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas here, I think maybe it has 28 kebab shops, right? But it has, it has about two or three pubs, you know? So it's, uh, it's, not, it's not that, um, yeah, it's, very, it's not really a pub culture. But for us, it was also about, it wasn't, we knew it wasn't going to be, you know, we were never going to give up our, our day jobs. It was something that we really wanted to do. And it's something, it's almost like a lifestyle. And, it, you know, it's, it's, if you really like brewing, you have to have a passion for it. And if you really like brewing, it's not, it's not a job, right? It's something like the winters are very long and dark here, right? So you, need, you need something to do if you don't, uh, like, you know, you, you can play some golf in the summer or whatever. But for us, it was, it was a way as well. It was, it was very sociable and the gigs you have and stuff like that. And you, you can get feedback on your beers. It's good. And you keep developing and developing. But it would never be something where you could say, Okay, I'm going to give up my give up my day job now. You know, uh, what kind of beers are you brewing there at the moment, Tom? Well, we do. I mean, it's you know the range. They're all they, they are mostly ales, right? So we uh, so we have our, our the Indian pale ale. It would be uh, would be popular. We have a mental, and then we have a double mental. We do some Belgian beers as well. So I, I mentioned Saint Saint Eskel's Blonde, but now mm-hmm. we have um, it's called Quarantine Quarantine in the Belgian Abbey, which is which is a triple, which is a, a very unique. Belgian, Belgian beer, and um, and then we also do lager, of course, right? And we do our porter. We have Irish walnut porter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually add the walnuts into that during the during the boil. And now we're doing something really funky, which is so we have a local a local farmer who picks up the grain when we are finished with the with the actual um, the, the, let's say the brew. We have probably probably two hundred kilos after the batch, and we give to a local farmer. He he actually um, he has uh, wheat, his own wheat, right? And we're now doing an ecological Witbier, you know, the, the Belgian uh, Dutch style Witbier. And we have uh, hops from a local farmer who's also um, ecological, right? So we're going, you know, really local. We want to get as much local as we can and do something that's really um, yeah, somewhat, somewhat unique, you know. So we're, so we're currently working on that. That would be what, Karen? Be in May. Oh, in May. Okay, super. Um, what would be a game changer for you, lads? There's an awful lot of talk about a, a, a thing they call gourds for shelling, which is basically yeah. you'd be able to make stuff and then sell it sort of not on the side of the road, but to be able to sell it rather than go through the system below it. Is that something that might actually turn this from being uh, a hobby that you're both very passionate about into an actual viable business that you could devote yourselves to full time? I, I think it's I think it's <clears throat> I think it's unlikely to be fair that what you're trying to do makes such a difference to us. I mean we could I mean we do have a pub here today. Yeah. Um, that means we can sell we can sell without people taking away. But um I mean, it would add to, to it, but I don't think it would make an enormous difference to us, basically because of our location as well. I mean we're we're in an industrial park in, in Strengness. So mm-hmm. it's not like people are dropping by to pick up the stuff. 
Um, I think what, what, would, what would help us mostly of all would be um, some sort of the support from the government in terms of tax breaks on the, on the excise duties. I mean, we pay, we pay 30, 40% of the production costs of a, of a batch to actually in, in excise duties on top of everything else. Yeah. So that, that's an enormous overhead for us. Um, and then I guess just, I mean, sustainable logger being the single point of, of retail is, is, is very difficult. I mean, I know Gord for Shelling kind of fixes that, mm. but Gord for Shelling kind of locks you into selling only from your brewery. You can't sell from, you can't set up a stall at a fair or anything like that. You have to sell from your location. So <clears throat> it's, it's a step in the right direction for sure. Um, mm. But it's, I think we have a bit, bit of a way to go really in Sweden in regards to how, how we can make the, the alcohol market more more uh, liberal for for people to be able to you know sustain it i mean i think the, 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 there's there's a hell of a lot of breweries here in sweden now. i think there's 400 plus small right. brewers and you know it's only going getting more and more competitive out there for us and so it's you know it, it's a very very tricky market and like as tom said we're we're small scale so we're not producing on um, an economy. Our economy of scale isn't great, so it's 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 very very difficult. I mean, we're we're at a kind of a saturation point where we produce everything we produce, we sell, but we can't really produce much more. Mm. So it's you know it's it's a very tricky balance. But um, yeah, I mean, they always say I I worked in the states for for a couple of years, and they always said about restaurants, they said that you have to invest a million to make a million, right? We don't have a million. <laughs> so we we basically we basically started up. It was like you know we we got secondhand equipment and we used our own our own knowledge from the from the biotech industry and and things like that. And we have we have a very I mean what we are really good. And one point we we need to get better at marketing as well. We know that right. Yeah. And one thing we are really good at is we we set out to minimize you know, water usage and energy usage because brewing is energy and water intensive. And we mm. borrowed like basically a technology from. From the biotech industry, um, uh, which we are using for our fermentation process, which eliminates all the cleaning and all the water and energy usage, and you know what I mean. Um, so that's something that we really that we're in the process of right now. We're trying to say, okay, you can you know you can have a great product but if you don't market it, you don't mm-hmm. market it, and you don't get the you know you have to be savvy that way as well. Mm-hmm. And we're and both of us are very are very technical, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's like time, right? Time, time yeah. and money. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. That's an have. interesting point that Tom makes, actually, because I mean, one of the one of the starting points of the brewery, one of the reasons was this proof of concept for this technology that Tom had developed for similar fermentation, um, which is you know it was, it was leading into all the sustainable and you know energy efficient and you know where it's all recyclable materials and stuff like this. So we had this concept of you know, sales <coughs> externally from the brewery as kind of a you know, parallel business. Yeah. yeah. Again, though, it's something that we, we pursued a patent on and stuff. The, the patent didn't work out, unfortunately, um, as the technology wasn't novel enough. But um, I mean, it's still something we, this is how we brew every day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We brew yeah. in a sustainable way. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, we, we've, we, you know, it's, it's a real, it's still, it's still an option in the future to develop that further. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And that's really is that's really the crux of the issue. But one thing, one thing we're actually thinking about right now is you know, we're going to we'd like to take in some more people uh to get them involved in the in the in the brewery and the brew pub and make it a bit of a more like a community type mm. type of um for for beer lovers, right? Because for us as you know, it is it's something that we really, really enjoy doing. 
but you need you need more manpower effectively you need to invest time you know mm. so so that's um that's that's uh, that's actually one thing where we think we want like-minded people to be involved and it's it is because it is great fun you know when you have a session here we've had irish music we've had you know heavy metal bands we've had you know country western whatever right mm. and um that 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 whole part of it is really important the whole we we would like to even have you know, like they have in Dublin, where where they have this uh, literary pub pub thing. We were thinking we get the local drama society up to do mm. a little live sketch at the bar or something. You know what I mean? Anything at all like that. That's that's really interesting for people. But again, you need you need time to arrange all that and to make it happen, and mm. someone to work in the bar, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, um, but yeah, I mean, we're actually working on it this year. We have to we have a plan to to try to um, to change the way we the way we operate effectively and get out there and sell more. Mm. We might have to transport you into the middle of Stockholm or Gothenburg or Malmo or something. Well, you know something, that. yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> but <laughs> that'll, be that'll be the way to do it, right? Now, because I've seen, I think it was a few years ago when the uh, when the pub started there. Tom's just gone back there to check on the brew there. But uh, do you remember uh, when we had the Gaelic football tournament here, and you brought along some of the beer there, and it proved to be very popular. So uh, yeah, definitely... we did. Yeah, I mean, that was that was when we just kicked off. I think that I mean, that was like brewed in Tom's garage. That wasn't even brewed. Oh, you're telling me that now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that was that was that was like a 15 year brew with Tom. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, we're up on a different scale now. We, 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 we're up on a thousand year scale at the moment. Yeah, just one last question, I suppose, Kieran, because I'm sure you'll have to help Tom out with whatever brewing is being done there this morning. Where can people get hold of your beers? Where, where's the best place to find them? Oh, uh, we're well, we have we have eight to nine beers in the Bestelling sortiment in uh, Sustainable August. Um, so if people so go there and they they, they can search for Mail or Doll and Brewing Company and they'll find those beers in the in exactly, the system. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I think we have eight beers there today or nine, maybe, perhaps. Um, yeah. I wear a few restaurants around the place, but it's all around the the, the Sormland area. So I mean, it's in Maryfield and Strangness and yeah. Nick Vaughan and um, we haven't quite got as far as Sutele yet, but uh, no, we're around around the Mail Dolan area, I guess, around Sormland here. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, mostly. That's super. Well, if you're listening to this and you haven't tried any of the, the beers, as I said, the beers are hugely popular. I think at the start of the pandemic there, Kieran was on to the, all the lads who played the Stockholm Gales and they emptied all the stocks there, which is fantastic to see. But, uh, yeah, but that's because they're a bunch of raging alcoholics. There, there is. Well, I mean, you know, you take your sense. They, they, they drink it out of a sock. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they're connoisseurs, I call them. Connoisseurs, <laughs> I call them. Kieran and Tom, thanks very much for speaking to me. All right. Thanks, Phil. Take it easy. very funny there just we were getting to do, ready to do that interview and uh, the two lads were sitting there in the morning getting ready uh, the brew was already on right so they had already started the brewing process for the day and in the middle of it uh, I think you actually might have heard it on the recording there that uh, some little alarm or some reminder went off and Tom had to get up and go off and do his thing so we were left with Kieran there at the end and he just came back just as we'd finished uh, the recording there so the two lads are busy working away down there and of course as they mentioned with their day jobs and that kind of thing now if you want to try their beer right uh, it's there it's what they call bestelling sortiment so it's the sort of stuff that you can order you can order to any of the system belonging stores so if you go into system se that's system s-y-s-t-e-m b-o-l-a-g-e-t dot s-e 
And just if you search the search I did here to have it in front of me as I'm talking to you is Melardalen, M A, which is the A with the two dots over it, L A R D A L E N, right? Melardalen, and nine products pop up, right? And if I scroll down through them now, there's the Rogue Rye India Pale Ale, which they mentioned there. There's the Melardalen's uh, White Horse Cray, White Horse Hazy, N E I P A. What's that? It might be New England IPA. I don't know. Uh, the G1 Vasa Lager is there as well. Quarantined in a Belgian Abbey is there. Uh, they have Mellardalen's Totally Mental DIPA. They have Mental IPA. Phoenix Red Ale. Kogis Break. Uh, I don't know what that is, but um, that seems to be a little bit on the dark side of the beer uh, spectrum there. And there's an Irish Walnut Porter as well. And I got that in and my brother-in-law had uh, enjoyed drinking that around about Christmas time. Uh, as I say, that was quite strong, but uh, he really enjoyed that. So that's how you do it. The bottles are somewhere between 20 crowns and 30 crowns each, right? And some of them are quite strong. Uh, so it's not the kind of thing that you're going to sit there and sort of, you know, have eight or ten of them in front of a football game on a Sunday afternoon. Not if you're working on the Monday. Not to be advised, right? But well worth supporting. And it is one of those things, isn't it? Like, you know, when we were growing up, I remember going into pubs down the country in Ireland and you would have Guinness, Smithix and Harp at a stretch, right? And there might be, you know, the harp mightn't even be on draft. It might be this dusty bottle on a, on a pub on a pub shelf in Wexford, you know. So things have changed and changed utterly there. And these IPAs are obviously big business, and the lads are doing really, really well. And I hope that at some point that. You know, the reason that Sistan Belogets and this, this monopoly exists is because that's really how the Swedish people want it. You know, they don't want alcohol freely available in supermarkets because they don't want people drinking their heads off in the middle of the week. If you've noticed, the beer that you drink here is usually stronger than what you would get back home. So a point of Guinness back home, I think, is about 4.2%, whereas the stuff that you get, the Storstalkgirl, the big strong beer here, could be 53 5.4%. That's like 20 25% stronger. So they're putting a fucking gun to your head, you know? So... um I can see the reasoning behind it, but I would like to see a situation where smaller brewers, as the lads mentioned, there's about like 400 small brewers in the country at the moment. I'd like to see things made a little bit easier for them, you know, uh, if they could find a way of getting stuff into the uh, the shops or the restaurants or, or that kind of thing. Or indeed the licensing laws themselves, because I think many of the publicans, Martin Hessian and Beerstones, will also tell you that this idea of having to have five different things on the menu, all made on site and that kind of thing. Like you, you can't just, there's very few places with a license where you can just open the door and sell beer and sell wine and sell spirits. Like there are a very, very limited number of licenses where you can do that. I think Stampin in the old town in uh, Gamla Stone in Stockholm, you're allowed to do that, all right. But it's very limited. And the culture here is different now. When I first came over here in 1996, I think it was, there was no pub culture as such. People didn't go out for a beer the way that they do now they went out on a Saturday and they got wrecked and that was it but now it's much more European much more civilised we used to hear in Ireland about cafe culture and I think that's the direction we're going but one way or another I'd like to see a situation where the lads can make a few quid and have a bit of security in their business and maybe even make it their full time job so there you go that's it for this week Enterprise Ireland brewing up a storm with the two boys down in Strengness uh, if you want to get in touch with the Mail and Brewing Company uh, you can rent out the pub you can have your birthday there you can have your wedding there you can have your funeral there you can have whatever you like get in touch with them there and I'll be in touch with you all again next week and we're going to be talking a little bit more about literature and that kind of thing and also a little bit of advice about renting here in Sweden so that's one of those things that pop up especially among the, the shorter term residents here so if you're just here for for uh, not for a long time just for a good time uh, tune in next week and we'll talk a little bit about renting and your rights and uh, how you 
uh, get a decent value for money and don't fall out with your landlord and get your deposit back and all that. And again, your reminder, this is a community-supported podcast. If you want to advertise or sponsor Irish in Sweden podcast at gmail.com, patreon.com forward slash Arabman in Stockholm from two euros, preferably five euros or ten euros a month will help me keep it going. And if you can make a once-off contribution via Swish, one, two, three, twenty-four, twenty-four, one, six, six. So please do get behind the podcast. I'm dependent on you, okay? Without your contributions, I won't be able to keep this thing going. So uh, if you haven't contributed yet, uh, please do. If you have done already, thank you very much. But uh, yeah, please keep things ticking over there. That is indeed it for this week. So as usual, look after yourselves, look after everyone around you, and I'll be back with another episode of the Irish in Sweden podcast in the very near future. Mm